Well, please turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I want to say a special word to all the young children who are with us this morning. I am delighted that you are here in our service and that you're able to worship with us on Christmas Day. You know, when you were born, your mom and dad wanted everybody to know, right? Uh, They sent out birth announcements to tell people uh, the good news that our precious little baby has been born. Maybe they posted a message on Facebook or they sent out cards or emails to family and friends and said, our precious baby is finally here. And maybe they told your name and how big you were and so forth. Uh, My son and his wife had uh, uh, a baby in July, and, and this is what Daniel put on Facebook. After Bishop was born, he said, our hearts are so full. Welcome to the world, my son. I promise to love you deeply and protect you fiercely. Uh, Makes my heart happy. But we all rejoiced at this wonderful, long-awaited news. Well, the night that Jesus was born, his father also sent out a birth announcement, a glorious Message. In fact, it was the most most amazing and uh, a fantastic birth announcement that ever was made. Now, I'm not talking about Joseph, because Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. He was betrothed to Mary, but you remember, Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. God in heaven was Jesus' father. And he didn't send an an email or, or post a message on social media. Of course, that wasn't possible at the time. He sent his angel. In fact, he sent a, a vast heavenly host of angels. And as the angel appeared to these shepherds, the glory of God radiated around this angel and around the shepherds as he made this glorious announcement. And this vast choir gathered to sing the praises of God. I would easily say this was the most elaborate birth announcement in all of human history. It was certainly the most significant because it was the most important birth. And the announcement was made, not not, not broadly published, but in fact it was to just a humble group of shepherds on a lonely hillside outside the city of Bethlehem. The angel said to these shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And Jesus' birth was the greatest possible news. It was an occasion for great joy. Do you know why it was good news? Kids, do you know why it was an occasion for great joy? That's what we're going to talk about in our message this morning. So first of all, I want you to see that Jesus' birth was good news of great joy to Mary and to Joseph. The story in Luke 2 begins with Joseph and uh, Mary leaving their town of Nazareth and going to Bethlehem. Now, in those days, they had to walk. Uh, It's likely that Mary rode a donkey. Uh, That's not mentioned in the text, but I can't imagine a pregnant woman walking three days. Uh, But it was about a three-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And the reason they were there, the reason they had to go to Bethlehem is because Rome, the Roman Empire had expanded and had taken over Palestine. And the purpose was to force all these occupied lands to pay taxes to enrich the Roman Empire. And so this Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, had issued a decree that everybody had to go register in order to be taxed. It was a census that they might be taxed. And so the Jewish people were forced 
to register to pay a tax that they really didn't want to pay to an emperor they really didn't want ruling over them. And they were required to go to the town of their ancestry. And Joseph, because he was from the line of David, and in fact, Matthew also tells us, uh, Matthew and Luke tell us that, that, that Mary and Joseph were both of the line of David. And so they went to Bethlehem, which was David's hometown. So their journey to Bethlehem wasn't a pleasure trip. It wasn't a family reunion. Uh, it was the result of really an oppressive decree from a, an unwelcome tyrant who actually, Caesar Augustus declared that he is Lord and God. But yet in the providence of the one true God, the Lord Jesus would be born in this city that had been prophesied around 700 years earlier. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So Joseph did not go to Bethlehem with the intention of fulfilling prophecy. He was told, uh, your wife, your, your, your betrothed is going to have this baby. You will call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from his sins. And Joseph didn't say, well, I, then I need to pack up and go to Bethlehem because that's where it was prophesied Jesus would be born. I'm sure that was the furthest thing from his mind. It was this decree from Caesar that required him to go. But God in his sovereignty used even the wickedness of men, this oppressive decree from a wicked, godless tyrant to accomplish his eternal purpose in sending his own dear son into this world. That's an amazing providence, but we serve an amazing God. So, so Mary and Joseph may not have wanted to go to Bethlehem, but as they, as they went to Bethlehem, the time arrived and she delivered. Now, we have this idea that she is uh, uh, possibly even in labor pains as the donkey's getting nearer to the city, and Joseph's going, just, just wait, Mary, just wait, Mary. We don't know. Uh, it could have been some days. We, we have no idea. It doesn't tell us. But recognize, it tells us here that Mary gave birth to her firstborn. Now, it doesn't say their firstborn, again, because Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mary was a virgin, not known uh, by any human, any man, when she became pregnant. And this miraculous conception was announced uh, first to Mary by the angel Gabriel before it took place, before she became pregnant. He appeared to her and told her what was going to take place. And then not long after, it was discovered that she was pregnant and Joseph was terrified. Oh, no, the, the woman I am engaged to has become pregnant, he assumes, by someone else. He knew it wasn't him. And so it says because he was a righteous man, he purposed that he would put her away privately. In other words, he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. And yet the angel appeared to him uh, and, and said to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your son. And told him that, that, that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and said, he will be, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So both Mary and Joseph are anticipating this glorious birth. Uh, it's far more significant than the birth of your first child or my first child or our first grandchild. This is the miracle baby who would save his people from their sins. And even though he was born under the oppressive rule 
of a Roman emperor. One day he would rule over a kingdom that extends throughout all creation and a kingdom that would never, ever end. And so here we have this couple, Mary and Joseph, who have this amazing privilege of being his parents. But as we read in the text, when they arrived in Bethlehem, there was no place for them to stay. No place in the end. Joseph couldn't get on booking.com and find the, the nearest. Uh, there were no, no, uh, no openings, no vacancies. And this town was, was full of other people who were also there for the very same reason, to, to register for the census. We sing, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I'm not so sure it was all that silent or calm, to be honest with you. I imagine that Mary and Joseph weren't the only people who were disgruntled and disappointed that there were no accommodations for them uh, to, to sleep and, in their case, to care for their child. But the innkeeper said, I can't offer you my stable. It's the best I've got. And so they went. And God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who had dwelt in unspeakable glory from all eternity became a living human being. He was laid in a feeding trough in a stable or a barn for animals. The creator of the universe became this helpless little baby. And, 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 and this is real. Jesus' infancy was not uh, something made up. It was, he was not pretending. He was just as real a, a baby as any other baby, needing to be fed and changed and uh, and, and all of the other things that babies require. The glorious king of the ages enters humanity, and he does so in a stable to most likely a teenage girl. And yet, for all the appearances of poverty, of, of deprivation, uh, his parents knew this is no ordinary baby. They knew this is the prophesied Messiah, and his birth was a source of great joy for them, and it would be for all people in time. Well, the birth of Jesus was good news of great joy to the shepherds as well. Now, it's important we understand shepherds in that day were considered really the lowest uh, on the ladder of, of social respectability. They were despised. They were considered ceremonially unclean. And in a Jewish culture, that was very important. So, um, upstanding citizens generally looked at shepherds and, and, and despised them. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to, didn't want to be around them. And in fact, uh, a shepherd's testimony was considered to be not very reliable, uh, which is significant because the very first people the angel appeared to, the first people God uh, revealed the birth of his son to, the first people who testified of his birth were shepherds. God has an amazing, shall we say, sense of humor uh, in how he chooses, whom he chooses to use. But I want you to imagine the scene for a moment. Here these shepherds are. They're, they're in the field in the region outside of Bethlehem. Now, it's very possible it could have been the very same fields David had watched a thousand years earlier where he watched his sheep. But this angel appears to them seeming out of nowhere. And the glory of the Lord shines. It radiates all around them. And up to that moment, it, it was probably dark. Uh, it was quiet. They're, 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 they're probably sitting around a fire. And suddenly this light, brighter than anything they've ever seen before, shones all around them. And this angel appears in their midst, and they are filled with fear, we read. 
You might say they were overwhelmed with fear. And the angel tells them, you don't need to be afraid. Over and over again, we find in Scripture God telling us, fear not, I'm with you. Here, fear not, because God has come, is what the angel is going to tell them. I, I, I come bearing good news of great joy, not only for you, but for all of the people. And so he delivers this glorious birth announcement. Read with me in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, there are three titles the angel gives to this baby. She doesn't, the angel doesn't tell them his name is Jesus. He gives three titles. He is a Savior, Christ the Lord. Let's look at those three for just a moment. First of all, he says he is a Savior. Remember, the angel had told Joseph he will save his people from his sins, from their sins. The Lord Jesus was born with a purpose. He was born to die. He was born with the, uh, with the, uh, in the covenant of redemption that he would come and he would achieve a perfect human righteousness and then he would die on the cross to pay for the sins of humans, people who rebelled against God. See, because we've sinned, we deserve to be punished. The, uh, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And two people could pay that death. Either you can pay that death yourself or Jesus can pay it if your faith is in him. But the debt for sin had to be paid. And the only way you and I could pay it is to spend eternity in hell. Jesus, because he's infinite God, could pay it in a span of a few hours. But that's what we deserve. Every single one of us is guilty before God. Uh, Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, some people are guilty of despicable sins, uh, things that we would not talk about in polite company. Others are guilty of what you might call respectable sins. But every single one of us has turned away from God and we have all gone our own way. But the Lord Jesus, from infancy, grew up. He never, ever sinned one time. He never went his own way. He always did that which pleases his Father. He, he lived a perfect right, uh, life. He achieved a perfect human righteousness. From all eternity as God, he's righteous. But the righteousness of God could not redeem sinful humanity. We needed a human righteousness. And so Jesus achieved that for us. He had no sins of his own for which to pay. And so when he died on the cross, he paid for our sins. And that's what makes it good news of great joy for all the people. He is the Savior. He is the Christ, the Hebrew. He is the Messiah. Now, now the Jewish people for centuries had been longing for a promised Messiah to appear. And that longing was intensified by this Roman occupation. And they were, uh, many were expecting a political deliverer, someone to throw off the yoke of Rome. And it's very possible that's what these shepherds were hoping for as they had a messianic hope and expectation as well. But throughout the Old Testament, we find the promise that a Messiah would come and the baby that the angel announces that night, the baby that was born in Bethlehem, would fulfill all of these prophecies, beginning with he's born of a virgin in Bethlehem, as we read in Micah chapter 2. He is a Savior. He's the Christ or the Messiah, and he is the Lord. This Savior, this Messiah is the Lord. He is God in human flesh. 
Now, we just completed our study of the book of Revelation, and we saw these amazing and these glorious uh, descriptions of Jesus in His heavenly glory. And it's difficult for us to conceive of Jesus and uh, of anyone that glorious. It's much easier for us to wrap our minds around a, a baby in a manger. And we have, many of you, like, like us, have nativity scenes in your home, and there's this little figure of a baby lying in a manger. We, we, we know where to put that in our minds, but we don't know where to put the reality that that baby in the manger is the glorious God, the Lord. You might have expected that Jesus would come in more glorious circumstances that he would come in such humble circumstances seems too, too fantastic to believe. The angel tells the, 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 the shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. If the angel had not told them, this is the sign confirming that what I'm telling you is true, and they had stumbled upon this baby in a manger, they might have thought, this is nothing special, kind of sad. But they would have had no idea the glory surrounding that birth. You know, in the Bible, whenever we, in the New Testament particularly, we find the word sign, it is, it is uh, something that God sends to confirm his word when his, he, he sends a promise. And the sign, whether it's a miracle or something like this baby lying in a manger, it's confirmation that what he has said is true. The prophet had said Jesus was going to rule on the throne of his father David. So you might have expected this baby to be born to royalty. But rather, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, just, just, just uh, wrapped up. And, and he was lying in a manger in a, in a feed trough in a stable. They, they might have missed it if the angel had not told them, this is the sign. If they had gone and, and found the baby there, they, they might have said, uh, I think we're at the wrong address. Let's keep looking. But they knew this, assumed uh, the angel promised. And so they immediately determined to go find this baby. Imagine with me if you had been there with those shepherds that night. This multitude of the angels are, are declaring the praises of God, and they leave, and everything goes dark. And it's this eerie quiet. And they're looking around at each other going, can you believe what just happened? But now everything's changed. Their first concern is no longer the sheep that they're out there watching. They are compelled. We must go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the angel has told us about. And so it tells us in verse 16 that they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the baby, lying in a manger just as the angel had told them. Now, I find it very interesting. I asked my wife and daughter on the way here, what does it tell us that the shepherds did when they arrived in the stable and met Mary and Joseph and the baby? The answer is nothing. Doesn't say they knelt, doesn't say they worshiped, doesn't say they brought him presents, doesn't say anything. They arrived, they found them, and they went and told everyone. Now, I'm sure they knelt. I'm sure they said to Mary and Joseph, you would never believe what we heard. That's the one. That's who the angel was talking about. You can imagine the conversation, but we have to imagine it because we don't find it recorded in Scripture. But Luke does tell us two things that happened after they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. It says they went out and told all the people what the angel had said to them and what they had seen. 
And those who heard it, it says they wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now remember, shepherds were not regarded as very reliable. Okay, you wouldn't, they generally wouldn't accept the testimony of a shepherd about anything as important as the birth of Messiah. But this word wonder, it not only means they were amazed, it has the, it carries the, 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 the sense of admire. They admired what the shepherd told them. Now, I don't believe that everyone in the region suddenly immediately believed that Jesus, uh, Messiah, has been born in Bethlehem, and they all rushed to the manger and the cra- to, to the stable to see this wondrous thing the shepherds had told them about. There's no record that anyone did that. Uh, in fact, when the, the, the wise men came, uh, there's an indication it was quite a while later, maybe a couple of years later, because it says they came and found Mary and Joseph in a house. They had time to come to, Bethel, to, to Jerusalem and ask, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? And the, 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 the scribes uh, looked in the prophecies and said, prophecies say Bethlehem. So it, it seems to be some time before the, the wise men showed up. But these lowly shepherds went out and they told everyone. They were the very first evangelists, the, the spreaders of the good news. That's what evangelion, evangelion means. It's good news. And they spread that good news far and wide. And it says they left glorifying God and praising him for all the things they'd seen and heard. It was good news of great joy to the shepherds. They were overwhelmed with joy at what God had revealed to them. It changed their lives. Can you imagine that they would, they would be the same after an event like this? Their lives are changed forever. Now, certainly Mary's life... <laughs> would be changed forever. It says in verse 19, she treasured up all these things and pondering them in her heart. You might say that she also was overwhelmed with what God had done for her. Now, I want to dive in a little bit deeper into the message of the angels, that Jesus' birth, the, the news was, it was good news of great joy to all the, per, the people. Here we have this heavenly host, this, these angels singing what we might call the very first Christmas carol, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. There's a two-part declaration here. First of all, glory to God in the highest. One of the things that I encourage you to do as we sing hymns, who is that hymn directed to? To whom are you singing? Are you singing to God? Are you singing to one another? Oh, come, all ye faithful, come, let us adore him. We're not saying that to God, we're saying it to each other. Sometimes we're singing to ourselves. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake, up your, shake off your guilty fear. Who are you addressing? Here they're addressing God. Glory to God in the highest. Because God is worthy of all glory. He's worthy of our praise and honor. And we see that in, in Revelation chapter 4, as God the Father is adored by angels and by the four living creatures and by the heavenly host. Here we find God the Father worshiped. And I would say probably God the Son as well worshiped and God the Spirit as he fulfilled his promise of redemption, his promise to send a Messiah. He has sent Jesus to redeem sinful humanity. God the Son has laid aside his glory, taken to himself common human flesh. And by laying aside that glory, he brings even more glory to God. But the second part of this message is addressed to the world. The angels declare peace on earth to men. Not just any men, not just all men, but among those with whom he is pleased. 
Now, most of us are more familiar with the wording that we read in the King James Version that says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. In fact, we sang the Handel's Messiah a couple of weeks ago, goodwill toward men. But the reality is, the better translations, the more recent translations, uh, indicate that goodwill is actually speaking of God's favor resting on men. Peace among those with whom he's pleased, ESV says. NIV says, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or the Holman translation says, peace on earth to the people he favors. And the peace that Jesus brings is for those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. He brings them peace. It is to those who are in Christ on whom his favor rests. It is those who trust in him with whom he is pleased. And when we trust in Jesus, he brings us peace, first of all, with God. The Bible tells us that by nature we're hostile to God. Now, you might not think of your attitude toward God as hostile necessarily. If you're, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you might think, I'm okay with God. You know, I'm not hostile by any stretch. Well, let me ask you this. Do you understand that the Bible says God has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he has absolute authority over your life to do with you as he chooses? Are you comfortable with that? Or is there this attitude of, uh, I'm the captain of my own ship. Nobody tells me what to do. I, I'm going to rule my own life. I determine what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a law to myself. The idea that God imposes his law on me and judges me for not keeping his law that I don't even agree with, I don't buy it. That's hostility toward God. And that is, the, that is the natural condition of every single one of us apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. We were hostile to, them, to him, and because of our hostility to God, his uh, condemnation rested or hung over us. But Jesus makes peace by establishing righteousness and satisfying the justice of God, and he reconciles us that we might have peace with God. But he also uh, gives us this wonderful blessing of the peace of God. Jesus promised a peace to his disciples, not as the world gives peace. I give you peace. You don't need to let your hearts be troubled or be afraid, he told them right before he went to the cross. Paul speaks of a peace that passes all comprehension that's ours in Christ Jesus. And this is a peace that is freely offered to all people. Now, that's important in this context because you remember these are Jewish shepherds. And the Jewish people thought Messiah was coming for the Jews. We are the chosen people, they believed. And they were. But they didn't understand the covenant that God made with Abraham said that through Abraham and through his seed, all peoples would be blessed. The promise of salvation is not simply for the Jewish people. It was for all people from every people and tribe and language and tongue. And while it's offered freely to all people, not all people will receive this free offer. Not all people will embrace by faith the grace of God and experience peace on earth and certainly not peace of heaven. Only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord as their Messiah, as their Savior. So I want to ask you this morning, is the birth of Jesus good news of great joy for you? And the answer is, it depends. 
Again, you can imagine the shepherds, their lives were changed forever. Now, of course, I'm sure they went back to watching their sheep. There's no indication that any of them became Jesus' disciples years later. But everything had changed. They'd met their Savior, Christ the Lord. Have you heard this birth announcement of the angels? For you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christmas only has any real meaning if you embrace this truth. So many of the popular Christmas movies talk about the magic of Christmas, but they make no mention of the Christ of Christmas. And it's not magic, it's miraculous. And it's all about romantic love, and it's got nothing to do with the love of God in Christ for sinful men. And these are these trappings of Christmas, the decorations, and, and the Christmas cookies, and the, 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 the des- desserts, and the presents, and all the, you know, all the, the, the festivities. And, and we engage in all of those things. Our house is decorated. And we listen to Christmas music and watch more Christmas movies than I care to admit. But these are a hollow substitute for the greatest gift that was ever given. The angel declared, Jesus, the Savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord. And my question is, is he your Savior? Is he your Messiah? Is he your Lord? Have you personally repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus that he might give you that holy and perfect righteousness before his Father in heaven? If that is not the case, you are missing the true meaning of Christmas. But that can change today. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, the sinless one. He made him sin for us or in our place that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And and we think of those shepherds. Nothing is ever the same. And I know in my life when, when the Lord Jesus saved me, nothing was the same. I did the same things. I lived in the same house. I played the same sports. I went to the same classes. I had many of the same friends. But nothing was the same. He made all things new. You know, there's so many people who are overwhelmed by Christmas. Christmas can be overwhelming, particularly for people who are grieving or who are lonely. I mentioned that Mary was overwhelmed with joy at what God had done. The shepherds were overwhelmed with what they saw, what they heard. A number of years ago, our missionary to the uh, Tahana Adam Indian tribe uh, in Arizona, Beth Anna Cordy, wrote us a Christmas message. And I'm going to read you what she wrote. It sums up so wonderfully what I want you to take home this morning. She said this. She says, does this time of year overwhelm you? And then she describes those pressures that Christmas can bring, the the shopping and the decorating and the cooking and the the entertaining and all of the the gathering and so forth. And she says, where's the Christmas cheer we we hear sung about on the radio? A little peace and goodwill sounds like a good idea right about now. What is even the point to all this chaos? And then she encourages us, take out your Bible, read Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, and meditate on the ways that the people Luke describes are overwhelmed. And she begins to enumerate them. John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb when Mary, who was newly pregnant with the baby Jesus, 
entered. Now, that's an astonishing reality we read about in Luke 1. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Mary has just gotten pregnant. And John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. He's not even born yet. But in the presence of Messiah, he's overwhelmed and leaps for joy, which makes a pretty powerful pro-life argument if you tease that out. But we'll, we'll move on from here. Elizabeth was filled with excitement, not only that God had finally brought a child to her in her old age when she had not been able to have children, she is overwhelmed with joy that God has given this wondrous gift to her cousin, Mary. And then we read what's been called the Magnificat. Mary magnifies the Lord. She's overwhelmed with joy at God's goodness and kindness to her. Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, A priest rejoiced that God had visited and had sent redemption to his people. He's overwhelmed with joy at God's goodness, fulfilling his promise. The shepherds trembled, first with fear, but then with great joy. And they went out and told everyone what they'd seen and heard. The angels sang and gave glory to God. You, you, You might even say the angels were overwhelmed with joy as they gave this glorious birth announcement. Moving toward the end of chapter 2, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised and to present him at the temple. And the prophet Simeon met him, and he's overwhelmed with great joy. And the prophetess Anna meets Jesus and is overwhelmed with great joy. She couldn't wait to share with everyone what she had seen and what she had heard. And then Beth Anna takes us to the gospel, and she tells us of the true purpose of Jesus' birth. This child will grow and become a man living a perfectly righteous life because I can't. Dying a death to pay a debt he did not owe and I could never pay. Rising again to conquer sin and death so that I might have eternal life. And now he's at the right hand of his father interceding for me. That is overwhelming. So that's why I want you to be overwhelmed this year, she writes. The presence and the lights are fun, but but go seek the true joy of worship. That's why we're here this morning. On Christmas morning. It will sustain you long after the tree is put up. Make Jesus the theme of your celebration this year. And when someone asks you how you're doing, flash them in a smile and say, I am so overwhelmed. You want to hear about it? Which I just think is great. Dear friends, I pray that God will graciously overwhelm you with a sense of who Jesus is, with a fresh amazement at the inexpressible gift of grace of his own son, the Lord Jesus, sent by his Father in heaven. May he thrill our hearts with good news of great joy. Would you pray with me? Father, we rejoice this morning that you have sent your son, the Lord Jesus, that he willingly undertook the costly, humiliating path of redemption for us, laying aside his glory, becoming a helpless little baby, growing up a sinless young man and adult, faithfully revealing you to men, and ultimately dying in our place to pay for our sins. As we celebrate his birth, may we ever keep his death in view and his resurrection and is interceding for us before your throne that we might with boldness and confidence come before your throne of grace 
to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need, which is every day. Thank you so much for this inexpressible gift, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.